something very different for the channel. Um, I wanted to talk about E3. Talk a little bit about the history, my thoughts on E3. I wanted to open a dialogue with what E3 means to myself and also everyone listening to this. And also the relevancy. I want to discuss all that today. And I want to talk about the a not so brief history with E3. Let me know what you guys think of this video. You're finished watching in the comments or tweet at me at Amy Thousand. Let's get right into it. E3 is a big deal to me. Um, E3 is holds a very special to my heart. And upon researching this, I actually learned quite a bit to begin with. E3 begins as an answer almost to not being able to show up on CES. Uh, I found this quote that I found very interesting. So, uh, Tom Kalinske, he's going to be CEO of Sega at the time. And he's quoted to have said this, quote, the CES organizers used to put the video game industry way, way in the back. In 1991, they put us in a tent, and you had to walk past all of the porn vendors to find us. That particular year, it was pouring rain, and the rain leaked right over our new Genesis system. I was just furious with the way CES treated the video game industry, and I felt we were a more important industry than they were giving us credit for, end quote. This almost kind of sparked something. And I feel like is a great precursor to what we're about to discuss today with E3. This kind of, I think, lays the foundation work to why E3 needed to exist, especially in the early 90s. And then it's inevitable creation in the mid 90s. Uh, everything was still seen as childish. I feel like that's easy to forget in almost 30 years after the fact. But video games were still coming from the huge marketing craze of that NES, SNES era. Um, Nintendo, of course, had to pick a lane. Who do we advertise to? How do we come back from this giant video game crash that hit the entire market? Well, we have to pick a toy aisle, and they just happen to pick boys. And it geared to small children especially, uh, because that's where they were sold in the toy section. And that's how all this created. That's why we're still kind of looked at, especially by an old generation, as a childish industry and that is what begins and even i mean looking back then cs didn't even respect them enough to uh put them near the front especially uh, and it's very interesting given what we know now about the video game industry uh, the biggest industry at least entertainment industry probably in the world and of course in human history but that's neither here nor there now cea which of course is going to be founded to create Now, CEA, which is the Consumer Electronics Association, would try and make good with Sega and several video game companies leading up to the formation of E3. But their efforts seen by some were too late, as a majority of the industry agreed to stick with having their own space to discuss business in rather than sharing it with another entity. Although Microsoft and Nintendo did still show up to CES in the year of 1995 and still attended E3 that same year, but... Nintendo specifically would never return to CES, and that is still true as of reporting. That's the last time they have ever shown there. I feel like um, it is clear that uh, they didn't care about them. Maybe we would have a better reception there. I don't believe there is still a huge game showcase at all, like anywhere close to presentable in CES. Uh, I think a couple of VR things happened on there. That's you know that counts, but of course it's not quite as big of a deal. 
The question comes, who organizes the event? This business meeting of sorts, well, the games industry already had a sort of governing body. A kind of surrogate government that was created to keep the government out of video games. That body was called the Interactive Digital Software Association, or just IDSA for short. They, of course, are behind the ESRB, which protected the game industry from government intervention. The same range ratings and movies did. Most people probably don't recognize the name, but you would have recognized the name that they changed to in 2003. The Entertainment Software Association, or ESA for short, which is still their name today. I find that this is very interesting to remember that we have a kind of umbrella, almost, to protect us from uh, the government hand. And it is also used to kind of lightly delegate what's happening, right? There's a reason that the ESA, ESA t- or uh, of course the IDSA at the time, took over this. Because this, this was a bunch of representatives from everywhere. Uh, they kind of formed out of a bunch of the larger companies at the time. Um, they ran purely on, like, fees and... Donations is is the wrong word. That's not true. It, it but it's mainly fees. You have to pay a lot of money to get ESRB rated, so that helps run the ESA. And of course, this is a front to lobby, and of course, uh, the governing bodies in America. And this is where all this comes about. ESA sits down, of course, and says, "Hey, they want to set up a convention." Where do we have it? Well, it's kind of an easy answer, but what's interesting at the time is, and I'd be curious what the rates were to rent out, and we're about to get to it, the Los Angeles Convention Center at the time, because that would seem so lofty. And they settled on that very early. I'm curious if if it wasn't as expensive as it is now, because I can't imagine the price tag to rent out the LA Convention Center today. Now, this comes into play May 11th, 1995 at the Los Angeles Convention Center, which will be the home of E3 for years to come. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Leading up to that fateful day, many involved question if the space allowed by the Convention Center would even fill up. But by the time the convention ends on May 13th, it had mostly booked up, which shows that I think the entire game industry says to themselves, we could do this. Now, this seems to continue from the founding. In 1995 to 2006, mostly unchanged with how they conduct the business, but it is, of course, growing in popularity with property that goes hand-in-hand with costs. Now, there is a failed negotiation, actually, which is a fun fact. I don't think many people know this. (coughs) In the years of 1997 and 1998, the LA Convention Center forces, and forces is an interesting word, um, I kind of misspoke here. I would say there there was a failed negotiation, which forced the hand of IDSA to hold it somewhere else, uh, and they held it in the uh, furthest uh, place possible. Almost, um, they in the years of the 90, 97, 98, uh, they leave the LA Convention Center and go to Atlanta, Georgia, at the Georgia World Congress Center. Now, these two years show the ESA how dependent they are on the LA Convention Center for multiple reasons. Uh, they they need to make this work, as most uh, multiple players in the industry stated, that the cost of moving all needed staff across the country to go through this would be a uh, silly and as an overwhelming majority of the game industry at the time, and continues to stay, was located on the West Coast. This resulted in EE3's lowest attendance ever, excluding a attendance change and how they worked things in 2007 and 2008. That's when they were the business summit. We'll get to that in a second. I think this kind of shows how weak is a strong word, but I think I'll use it here. How weak 
E3, uh, especially back then, and I don't think they could have ever really pulled this off. Um, they might be able to pull it off in the, in the hate in the highest it, it could possibly do, but especially back then, it just couldn't happen. They just could not justify to people, and most people could not justify paying the exuberant amount of money it would take to rent the space, buy booths, so you have to you know make booths out of the space that you're buying. Then you have to staff it. And then you have to send your own people there. So uh, those two uh, combinations, you could staff it with convention people that already work there maybe. Or you staff it with just your people. Who knows what they would have done back then? Most likely a combination of both things. But just the – and also you have to calculate things that you can't think of, right? How much time you lose in the project by going to E3. Of course, E3, very important back then. That's how you set up money, and that's what we're about to get in right now. Let us not forget, E3 was created to be. It was made to be a trade show for retailers. Retailers needed a better understanding of what the video games they wanted on their shelves in the coming year. I think we can see echoes of the video game crash of 1983, but that's for another time. Now, there's always brought up right when talking about E3. It's always business first. That's always kind of, especially when you notice the more veterans of the industry bring up. That was what it was created for, and that's still what they tried to be. They they wanted to be business first. There's a couple of years, of course, they lose that vision. But they try to be this business first model, and it just doesn't it, – it works, but it's never aligned with everyone. We're going to see that a little bit later. But let, I want everyone to remember the entire reason this was created was retailers needed to know where to what to stock. What what games do I need to put on my shelves? What looks good? What looks promising? I can't waste that stocking shelf, right? Because I could make money off of a Final Fantasy game or something there, right? So they want to know what's the new thing. And then they sometimes and almost most definitely would set up full-on units there. They would on-spot buy, like, hey, it's put me down for 1,000 units or put me down for 500, you know, et cetera, et cetera. This is when we get to the giant levels of V3. Attendance is growing rapidly. As in 1999, there were somewhere between 60 to 70,000 total attendance. People are hearing about this uh, convention, and it's the spot to go for games media. But multiple problems began coming up. One of the issues is that a lot of the attendants at the event were blockers and other non-related industries linked to the direct business to the games industry, which annoyed many vendors, stating that this is not what they wanted. As this event... Uh, caused another problem is that the actual space was becoming too expensive to justify we're going to see echoes of that actually a little later too and it never really goes down this caused the esa to announce that in 2006 the following e3 will change drastically to be more business oriented this is going to be probably the biggest change i've ever had um it may be excluding when they had to go to atlanta for those two years 1995 and 96 this caused the ESA to announce that in 2006, the following... Uh, oh, sorry, I'm already reading that. The event changes completely, as it's capped to 10,000 attendants in 2007, and then even less in 2008 to 5,000. This would win over no one, as they were lambasted by most industry veterans at the time and a lot of analysts saying uh, this killed media coverage that many larger companies relied on to justify showing up at all. This is already seeing echoes that we're going to see later on. A lot of people want different things from this business event, right? A couple people want to go there and just work in with retailers and know how many units do I need to set aside for you to ship to you. 
Other people want to show off their shiny stuff and have media show up there. Now, media is guaranteed to come almost every year. Uh, not almost every year, pretty much every year. There's always some media there. Of course, we see the evolution of games media throughout this time span. It's actually a very interesting thing. You can almost write um, an entire video about it. Just seeing the evolution of games media via the E3 junkets when it would happen. But of course, you have your magazine editors that would go out in the early, uh, the mid to, to late 90s into the early 2000s. And then eventually you would have vloggers and vloggers and all these things coming out from that 2001-ish window all the way up to uh, the 2000, 2008. And then we start going full-on TV show with around like 2013. We have like Spike TV and these things like airing entirety of E3. And then it becomes a giant commercialized event. But we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, aren't we? 2009. The ESA tried two extremes and decided to try and bridge them together, right? They've already tried two extremes. They tried getting a bunch of media involved and a bunch of other people, right? They capped at six to 70,000. That's quite a bit of people, right? So they've tried that. People didn't like it. Said it was too crazy, not enough business there. Okay, let's try it the other way. They cap it. Five, 10,000. Two years, 2007, 2008. No one's happy either, right? Not getting enough media coverage. It's not, it's not a big enough event. I'm sure a lot of people involved couldn't justify the cost as well, where it's like, well, that's not, you know, I'm not getting a lot out of this instead of like, and again, we're already getting in the echoes of you don't really need it anymore because again, let's remember E3 is made to know what retailers need to buy for the upcoming season, right? And of course, holiday season is the biggest thing right you're getting set up for holiday which is their biggest financial um quarter of the year by far there they there's like uh i remember reading a thing that retailers make a third of their their uh revenue from uh just christmas so that should tell you a lot and how important this is to a lot of these people but we're already losing that relevancy as the internet is getting more popular. It's getting easier to communicate. Email is through the roof, right? Uh, you're you're able to get just easier ways of contacting people than just having this giant retailer. You can just fly people out. It's just not, there's just a lot. There's much easier ways to communicate rather than just having this big event where we all exchange business cards and things. But I think a lot of people still see the relevancy at this point. And we're not seeing too many people peel off, just people wanting change as if they didn't care about it, they wouldn't have given their input, right? They would have already left. So clearly there's something keeping them here by 2009, right? I imagine it's a combination of a lot of factors, the retailer thing, relevancy, media, etc. 2013. 2013 is when we actually start seeing pretty big people start to really go why are we doing this, right? 2013. It's it's kind of the beginning of the fall, though I don't think really anyone saw this at the time. In 2013, we see Nintendo and EA begin to leave out their big keynotes and just opt for their own controlled events. In Nintendo's case, we saw them begin their Nintendo Direct series, which remains their main way of communicating directly to their audience to this very day. They still ran floor blues so that people at the event could demo the games that they were showcasing or play something that they were um, they had available at the time. Xbox and PlayStation would rent out nearby theaters when they wanted to showcase their hardware or had a particular thing to show off, which was not directly linked to E3 in any way other than that they would happen close together. 
both companies would continue to hold full open scratch sign. Let's not, let's not forget that. The biggest thing that we all remember from E3, and I could say this because I grew up around this time, we all remember the giant showcases that PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo would have, right? None of that was E3 related. None of it. Right? The only thing that was E3 related is they were pretty much down the street from each other and they happened at the same time. And you could say at the end of your keynote at the theater, by the way, we'll be at E3. We'll have some floor booths. Go play the game. Right? That is an important thing to remember, but the biggest thing that we associate E3 with has nothing to do with it. Absolutely zero. Nothing that the ESA has done has has got them to do that. They did that on their own because they were like, well, we can have our own keynote and then we can just get floor booth space. We can have a, again, we can have a controlled message go out. This is what Xbox and PlayStation are saying, of course, at the time. Let's have a controlled message to, to, to sit down. We can really control this. We can have a uh, seamless transition. They'll, of course, get cute with it uh, with a couple live game demos. Uh, there'll be a few times, of course, where they do something crazy that isn't controlled in the classical sense, but otherwise than that, they have a controlled environment, they handle the theater, they're doing their own production of this. They don't have to rely on E3 or additional booth space or having like a little booth slash stage made up to have this thing. So, um, And also they have a lot of money they could just throw at this thing. Revenue is something I've held about talking about until this point, right? We haven't really talked about what's the motivation factor for ESA for even doing any of this. But this is starting to become relevant. Let's, let's take a second and, and start beginning and talk about this. The ESA, again, to remind you, is not just for uh, having E3. They are meant to be the in-between for the games industry. I want to remind everyone. This is the in-between between the games industry and the government. They use lobbying, body, uh, lobbying bodies and the like. They, uh, this is a very influential thing in Congress because they're able to flaunt the wealth and we all know flaunting the wealth is an easy way to get what you want. They're finding themselves split between E3 and doing what they were founded for, right? So they're founded to be a aid in the government. But they're also doing this E3 thing. And many at the time are going, we feel like neither are getting your full attention and are both suffering because of it. Um, the ESA is not a huge organization by any means. Um, I don't think they were able to juggle all of this at once and still nail it. This was a major criticism at the time as many felt they were splitting their attention and neither thing was being maintained properly because of it. Many start asking them to split the company or do something better to fill both cases. Or causes, sorry. Now the reason I am sure the ESA was hesitant to do any of this is as, as of 2016, E3 accounted for 48% of their annual budget. A lot of trick of dogs hunged on E3 continuing as it may as it was half of what they were spent their budget on. And between the years of this specific period, somewhere around 2017 to 2019, they lost around a third of participating vendors. Right. So they're starting to bleed. Right. And also, people are kind of bringing pressure. It's like, hey, uh, we kind of pay you to be a governing body, not to have this E3 thing. So what's going on? Right. Everyone says to them, I was like, hey, uh, and... A couple of people go public with a lot of this conversation, too. Um, and uh, most of it stays behind closed doors, I think, and is said in the dark corners of the game industry. Then. Uh, not many people are happy with the ESA. I think it's fairly obvious that a beginning around this time, especially in 2017, 2019, especially, then, we see a lot of people beginning to go looking around like, mm, why are we still doing this? There's a lot of easier ways we can do this. This seems like almost like a tradition that we keep doing this. 
I feel like we could just get the same result and have it a tenth of the cost. Who knows? E3 is beginning to lose relevancy quickly, which is strange as it had only gained in popularity with the hardcore gaming centric crowd and a lot of the casual markets. Now, I want to be clear about this. I say it is strange that it is losing relevancy, but it's gaining um, the market. Um, how would I put this? The market thoughts, like the uh, general attention of the studio, right? It, the entire time that E3 is happening, it is only gaining in popularity with the average audience member to watch this, right? So while people are beginning to peel off, the entire um, uh, hardcore audience that is not involved in the literal making of video games or commenting on them or analyzing them, et cetera, et cetera, that are not going to E3, are watching this thing, and it's getting great, great ratings. It's, it's profitable as a TV show-esque thing to, to have this thing, right? To expect TV did for a while. Um, and then they moved to like uh, online formats when they didn't need Spike TV anymore. It's like, well, we just put this on YouTube. Um, they became ir irrelevant, and of course, they like went away way, way before this time. So I don't even know why I'm saying Spike TV. But by the time we're getting this, we're going on to YouTube, we're going on to Twitch, we're going on to uh, these various live stream platforms, and we're airing all of our stuff. And it is huge. People are interacting and these things. But there isn't really a tangible thing that I think a lot of the industry can put on the value of having an event and then distributing it freely that would garner free traffic and um, free advertisement of these likes. Not free advertising because, of course, they're paying for all of this. That's, that's incorrectly said, but... I think a lot of the industry has trouble justifying this when the numbers aren't clearly cut out. Now, of course, you can, and people do have uh, incredibly smart individuals set up mock write-ups of like, okay, well, if, if this is shared this many times, this many impressions, this many people saw it, then this might garner in a percentage interest gain in the game, and we see this percentage search results that leads to this many sales, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, this is all done. My only point is the entire a lot of people involved with E3 do it to get their name more out there. And it is strange that at the time people are pulling out um saying that it is losing relevancy but is only gaining it in people watching and consuming the content. But you have to then ask yourselves, why are, why are we why why do we have this middleman? We could just do this ourselves. The other problem is E3 would lose at the time, and some could argue the biggest draw to the event were many at home, and other vendors is PlayStation. PlayStation being the dominant force in gaming since 2013, with the launch of the PlayStation 4, keeps its move, uh, mo uh, momentum going with its always anticipated E3 showcase, revealing and demoing some of the most genre-defending and revolutionary ga games at the time, uh, and uh, that have come out in the last several years to a decade-ish time, fairing around then. All of the success demanded a question from Sony. Why we need the ESA and E3? They saw Nintendo's success, and this is kind of speculation on my part. They saw Nintendo's success of having a Nintendo Direct on their terms and saying, relatively quiet, unless they had something to say, which could be made into a state of play, their own Nintendo Direct kind of format. They made with the same format and even attempted an E3-like experience with the aptly named PlayStation Experience. This begins the precipitous fall of E3, and this begins really the giant fall from grace and sends home the message to many in the industry 
that we do not need this anymore. I think this is the the nail in the coffin. This is the this is the end. Now, of course, we're going to talk about something that is kind of out of their control that would happen around here. Um, that would really send them to the grave. But if we're saying controllables, end quote, right? PlayStation leaving the event completely derails this entire industry event, right? PlayStation was always the biggest draw to this. PlayStation was always the biggest deal to this. And PlayStation was always the kind of... Not justifier to a lot of people, but if you don't have those big draws from the big names, then that completely destroys the justification that a lot of vendors and publishers and developers use to go to this event, right? If we don't have the big names to draw the eyes, then our, you know, new indie game by Devolver Digital is not going to draw the eyes needed to make up the cost for this event. And PlayStation really kind of, ahead of everyone, although Nintendo, of course, does this much earlier, but Nintendo, it's, it's always hard to give Nintendo any credit for when they do things, so they just kind of do their own stuff. So... They were wise to start this direct thing really way before anyone um, back in 2015. And and they do this, and they still go to E3, but they're not really there. But they still have E3 conference direct things, kind of, but not really. They're still these very um, cookie-cutter, edited, formatted direct things. But I think PlayStation pretty much sends e3 to an early grave and the other and the rest of what i'm about to read completely just it's like it's it's beating the dead horse with like multiple times and xbox would try to capitalize on this uh i remember of course when uh with (laughs) playstation said they weren't coming like xbox like jumped up like oh we'll be there like we're gonna be there we're gonna have this giant thing it's gonna be great um, Xbox always struggled having a great E3 uh, because of the majority of the time they couldn't release the games that they were showing off. So it's just waiting for games half the time and you'd always see a cool game and then you'd be like, oh, when am I going to play? And half of us are still waiting for that. 2019's E3, which of course no one knew at the time, may have turned out to be the last E3 we knew ever. And especially as we know it. As this event, the ESA announced they have secured an agreement. I'm sorry, after this event. Uh, like the last day of the event, uh, they announced that they have secured an agreement to extend their stay at the LA Convention Center through 2023, but could break the contract if necessary. They released this very lavish, almost theme park-like design for their 2020 E3 uh, with the public media and influencers all kind of separated-esque kind of situation. Uh, They were all having a hand in E3 with ways of having some sort of entertainment while waiting in line, and a skip-a-line system, similar to the Disney Park FastPass system. Um, there was able, there's the ability to book ahead of time, so you wouldn't need to wait. Uh, there were queue entertainment things, where like you could sit in the queue, but there were, I think there was an app that you could play with at the time that would have things. There was a bunch of, they, they had very lavish goals for this thing. They were going to try and really completely change the thing. I remember a lot of people at the time being like, this sounds te- terrible. Like, what? what is going on? This is not really what it is anymore. It was kind of meant for the games industry, and then people could watch it if they wanted to. Now it's, like, mainly for the public, it sounds like, and these influencer-esque people. Um, and that would really be begin to come to the hicks. It, let's not forget, E3 tried to... Um, 
jump at the chance, and I mentioned this before, and I haven't brought up uh brought it again. I saved it for this because this this twenty twenty kind of shows you what E three turns out to be. Right, this turns out to be this this pub this very public very um public means of like oh hey like come come here you know buy these tickets hang out play these demos etc etc this goes harder into the public with this 20 theoretical 2020 plan um and then a couple years earlier they even started uh charging people uh, for the public to come because they're trying to capitalize on how popular e3 was and then i'm sure they saw how other vendors started leaving because again they lost a third of their people uh the vendors so that i mean that's a good bit that's a lot of money that is a quite a bit of money like that's a third of your space that you have that you now really can't fill um and they begin starting uh taking the public in uh and to try and again they they tried this middle thing where they like well okay well the media will be exclusive for this day and then the last two days you know this will only be for uh the public but it's going to be capped at like a couple thousand tickets like five i think one of them was five thousand tickets or something like that um so there so the idea was like all the media would have their day to like do everything and then they would leave and then we would get the public or the media would stay for a little bit and then we would have like a mismatch of like both the media and the public there it just it would never work probably it, again a lot of the industry many of the analysts the veterans the, a lot of the games industry and a lot of developers would just look at this and say like we we don't want to do we don't want to do this we're not we're not here to like work with the public with this we're here to like conduct business and i, and I think a lot of again this is this is e3 not being able to please everyone and so therefore they will lose regardless of what they do i, I upon researching all this one thing became clear is e the esa did try and change a lot of stuff we're going to talk about maybe they didn't change enough in a second but um that's jumping ahead the esa did try i i, I find it hard to say that that's one thing that they failed at is not trying to change this event as they tried multiple times they tried at the very beginning with hey we can't get the la convention center so we're, hey we're gonna have it in atlanta right they could have just not had the event right or they could have been like hey we don't know what to do so so that's the first kind of time they tried right as they grow in popularity and more people come into this event they get the feeling from everyone like okay well this isn't really what we want. We kind of want a more business-oriented event. There's way too many people here. Half of them are bloggers. Like, what what are they doing here? Um, uh, you can remember if you ever watched, like, gaming podcasts at the time, a lot of people back in the day were saying it's very easy to get to E3, right? You just say you have a blog or have a website or you write, um, and they'll just give you a pass, and you just go, right? So it wasn't very hard. Uh, I rem- uh, rem- I'm reminded of that sixty to seven thousand attendee market, and you just get a pass and you go right. So it's not very it's not very hard. That angers I think a lot of people. That, there are a lot of people who are bloggers, and I'm sure just regular people will just walk around. They probably had a website that that they made up just to do this thing. Who knows? But they try in two thousand seven, two thousand eight to make that business to make a business summit. They tried to cap the attendance at five to ten thousand. They made it much, much more business oriented. They completely, I mean, that's I mean, that is a huge, 
huge reduction. That that is a one. That's like one fifth of the people in some days. Most of the time, that's like one tenth um, of the people. And it wasn't enough to to really keep people coming, as even with all these changes that they that they attempted and tried, and you could argue. Um, closer to their end, they didn't change enough. But there's one thing that we can't say. They were not stagnant the entire time. They tried different things. They tried to work with vendors. They tried to work with, with the public. They tried to do both. They tried to do one extreme. They tried to do the other extreme. And it just didn't work out. Now we have another cancellation, of course. Uh, this is going to be Cancellation Hoys. 2019's... Uh, let's see, let's get the lenses. Here we go. There are all sorts of interesting new ways that they would try and revitalize the E3 experience, but all of this was for naught, as of course the COVID-19 pandemic started at the beginning of 2020, forcing E3 to skip a year. Surprisingly, they actually held a conference in 2021. It was a mix of virtual events, but still lacked any major relevancy in the minds of most of the industry. Um, they still had this kind of skeleton uh, E3 thing where they had a bunch of stuff going on. It wasn't very... Uh, interesting it was it's probably one of the worst ones they've ever had but of course of course it was because they barely had and they barely could do anything they they tried to have this thing where like no one was leaving their industry no one was trying to 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 have these events um everyone was fine working from home a lot of people probably didn't have anything ready for this because again like a lot of people were behind schedule because of the whole in, entire pandemic in general and now they have to justify making a slice for just E3. Just a lot of realities that just were not going to be made or met because of the um, outstanding, uh, uh, more the more outstanding arguments, right? Uh, then we have another cancellation in 2022 with no in-person event happening. And then we find out in July of 2020 or July. Yeah. We find out that July of that year that the ESA has partnered with read pop to help make the, to make an E3 in the year of 2023. Of course, when this video goes live, read pop is a major operator of events, managing events like the star Wars celebration, all the PAX events and a lot more than that. Um, of course, whatever the planned E3 was for 2023, you will not see the latter day as they have announced, of course, that E3 has been canceled for 2023 for, quote, lack of sustained interest, end quote. That is probably the most honest uh, announcement I've ever heard is we are canceling it because lack of interest and nobody cares. So we have to cancel it. And that really, I mean, I think we we sit here after going through all of this, after kind of having a brief history on, on E3, of course not going into everything, but I think going into a lot of the more, the more interesting thing. We sit here and we have to ask ourselves, lack of sustained interest is probably the dying words of many people's um, favorite time of the year. If you're a big game industry person, if you're, if you're into... Um, gaming analysis or criticism or just are a fan of game video games this is kind of your favorite part right of the year and it's gone forever um it's of course replaced by random or just random events that happen um of course jeff Keeley, which was actually a major player in a lot of e3 um 
left all of that and just made his own thing. So that's kind of our E3 now. Um, he does Summer Games Fest and he does the Game Awards. So you could argue that we kind of have an E3 still with that, but it's nowhere near as clean as E3 was very focused, right? It was about a week, five days-ish of conferences and the actual E3 day coverage and et cetera, et cetera. With this guy, it's more of like a month and like every week there might be something, but like it's not really. Then we have opening night live, which is a thing that is sort of like an E3 like thing. And it's 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 at a theater and he has stuff, but not but not really. But like sometimes it's really good. Like I think Elden Ring was announced at the at not the last one, but the one before that. So it's like this thing is like really good, but like is it always going to be good because it's still new-ish? I don't know. I believe in Jeff Key. I think he will be kind of the champion of of building this E3 void that's going to happen and has happened. It's already happened. I mean, he's already doing it, so it's not like I'm saying anything incredibly mind-blowing here. And that was a brief history of E3. They've tried almost every iteration of what E3 could be. Um, and it just couldn't please everyone. As many of the uh, major people uh, involved wanted different things. I'm reminded of a former CEO of PlayStation's quote concerning E3. This is the year that they decide to leave. And I think this kind of summarizes very well what happened with E3 and, and, and why, it's, why it went the way it would. Quote. So retail has really dropped off. And journalists now, with the internet and the fact that 24-7 there is game news, it's lost its impact around that. So the trade show became a trade show without a lot of trade activity. The world has changed, but E3 hasn't necessarily changed with it. And with our decision to do fewer games, bigger games, over longer periods of time, we got to a point where June of 2019 was not a time for us to have a new thing to say. And we feel like if we ring the bell... And people show up here in force. People have expectations. Oh, they're going to tell us something. And quote. He goes on to say uh, a number of things, but I think that was a perfect summarization of what happened with E3, right? You have this catch-22, right? And I think you see this honestly with Xbox. You see two opposites, right? Almost. Xbox having E3 every year. Constantly. Never skipped one. And they haven't really released anything over the past last E3s. They've announced something, right? They've announced things like Fable. They've announced things like Phantom Dust. They've announced things like... Um, random things like Contraband. Like, th there's just so many things you could bring up. And... That's it. But they haven't released anything. So they're talking about all these things very early. And they're not releasing any of it. PlayStation, on the other hand, has been pretty good at announcing something and releasing it. But that's because they've dictated the cadence at which they discuss these things. You can argue that a lot of stated plays are honestly meaningless and kind of do the opposite of what Shane Lee, Sean Lane's doing, where he's saying, well, you know, well, this isn't the time. But you are having a lot of stated plays that, like, don't make sense to have. But let's remember, Shane Lane's been gone for quite a bit. And we have Jim Ryan. It's not fair to bring up to him. But let's go back to E3. Um, we remember... Hmm, where do I want to go with this next one? And you know what? Let's read the next one. 
I think this quote sums up perfectly what happened to E3. Games take too long to make and have more money involved than them ever before. The economic rallies simply make no sense to rent out a space and have this almost World Fair-like event every year when you could probably just spend about a tenth of the cost of that and just rent out some cameras and editors and make your own event. I don't think I'm saying anything sage-like with this. Um, I think this kind of perfectly summarizes everyone's feeling around the event in the games industry. E3 is too expensive and it's too easy to do your own thing at this point. Why have this giant event that I have to spend probably $10 million on? And that's probably on the low end. If you're like something like Microsoft, you're probably dropping a bit more than that. Um, if you're somewhere smaller, maybe you're maybe you're squeaking out $5 million for like a space and renting out people and these things and, and sending your people out there and losing a little bit of time. I don't know. I'd have to really sit down and do the math. But when you can sit down and you're doing your budgeting and you get to E3 and you're like, well, we, we need like we need like a percentage of our budget dedicated to making an E3 demo, then going to E3, then renting the booth, then buying the space, then staffing it, then sending our people there, which then loses time on our project, which then loses time twice over because you have to send people there so that loses time and then you have to make a slice of the game that works so you can demo it that also loses time or we can just have a controlled environment where we know exactly how much we want to show we know exactly how long it's going to be we know exactly to the minute detail because it's a video that we make and we edit exactly what we want to show and again, it is probably a tenth. It might be, sm it might even be smaller than that. It might be incredibly cheap to like really make your own thing over and over again. If they like buy it and they don't rent these things. And uh, and if you sit sitting at home, really think about it. I think I find it as well hard to justify this. And that leads me to the next thing. Although I am sad that this monument from when I was a child that always had me in awe seeing all the incredible new games that were being shown off and got me excited for the upcoming um, fall. Uh, and a lot of times in a vulnerable way, it was exciting and amazing. And it was a dose of happiness and excitability to see all these games that were so close to being in your hands and got to share that with the people you love. Uh, I remember sitting down with my father at the time and, and just having a blast. This was a great time. We got to bond together, got to watch things, got to watch the showcases. We got to talk about things uh, coming up. Um, but that just isn't the reality anymore in this industry. There's too much involved and too much at stake for all this to happen again. I think that's a perfect way of ending it. I think regardless of the baggage that we're bringing with E3, right? Um, this is something that I really... I never got to go to one. So this is something I could possibly have this giant love for that I could have never been involved with. Yeah, which is fine, but... It's just interesting to bring up that from that perspective that something that I dreamed of going to is what, 11, 12 year old. I might never get to see, which is fine. It's it's dead, but I am. It does make you think. It does make you think like, hey, this com this completely defining thing in the industry just. That shows you how fast that we're developing as both an industry and just as a people that 
with the invention of immediate news and YouTube, and you could just make a video and immediately send it out there, just like I'm doing it to you right now, why does this need to exist? Especially at the price that it exists for. So I think that's a perfect way of ending it. I think E3 was a great thing to remember. I think it's an awesome thing that really only the games industry had, right? Movies don't really do this. They kind of do now with like things like D23 where Disney does like these things where they show off trailers and things, but like they, they don't do E3 like, like we did. And it was very fun. Of course, it was, if you boil it down, it was just a bunch of commercials being commercials at you. But it was fun to experience with people. It was fun to sit down and be like, oh, did you see uh, did you see Bioshock Infinite was shown? Oh, my God. You know, those times were always fun. Um, and let's see if we get those moments again. We kind of get them with Game Awards, are you? But I don't know. Uh, hopefully this stirred some conversations in your head and thoughts. As I would love to hear some of them, uh, of course, in the comments below or tweet at Envy One Thousand, and let's have a discussion on E3's relevancy. Um, what were some of your favorite moments of E3? What do you remember as a child, or what are some factors that you think led to the demise? I put some of my thoughts out there. Um, it's just something that I may have missed that I should have brought up in this video. Um, really, anything. Pull any string that you'd like. Pull any thread. Pull pull any. Pull anything that you want. Pull me if you want, if you get what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. This was something different for the channel as when I read E3 was skipping this year, it really was like, yeah, it's, it's over. I, I don't think this comes back. And if it does, it's going to be, a, I mean, it really will be a shell of its former self. So it inspired me to make this video, have to have a little bit of fun, read on one of my favorite industry events of my lifetime and really decide and write out like, a couple of thoughts that I had talk a little bit about the history of E3 and have some fun with everyone out there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to like comment, subscribe on this, uh, to, to the channel. If you'd like more videos of this, let me know if this is something that you guys like, I can do more of these. Um, this was something that I wanted to do for fun. Uh, if you want something done again, and this becomes something bigger, I will definitely take more time and become much more relevant. Cause I, of course I did take a lot of time. I wrote, almost everything you heard today, but I could polish this out more if this is something you, you'd you'd want maybe even longer, maybe you want it shorter, you know, any really anything. Comment below on, on your thoughts on the video, but aside from that, I want to thank everyone for listening today. This was incredibly fun. Uh, expect a regular Easy Achievers Gaming Podcast, of course, very soon. That is uh, right up after this. I will be recording um, the regular gaming news for the week. But until next time, remember, Go cheap.